Welcome to another episode. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you're watching A Lawyer Up. In today's episode, we continue our discussion of family law, but we turn to the topic of divorce. And in this particular video, we're going to be talking about the separation of the assets and the debts that were acquired during the marriage. In the following video, we're going to talk about, uh, for those of you who have children, uh, the determination of custody, visitation, and child support. And remember, if you learn something in these videos, hit that like button. If you got something to say to me, comment below. Remember to subscribe to the channel for more legal information and share me on social media. And remember, I am a lawyer, but I am not your lawyer. So if you need advice specific to your legal situation, you need to lawyer up with an attorney in your area. Now let's talk about what a divorce is. Essentially, it is the legal termination of a marriage and the separation of legal rights of two individual parties. This must be done by a court in all 50 states. Now, states have a lot of different laws, so you wanna make sure you talk to a divorce lawyer in your state. But in every state, you have to go to court to get a divorce. You can't just draw up a piece of paper between two people that says, hey, we're divorced. That's not good enough. The legal marriage must be dissolved by a judge. And essentially what a divorce does is it separates the assets of the marriage, it separates the debts of the marriage, and it determines the custody of children, what the visitation schedule will be, and if child support is going to be paid, how much that child support is going to be. Now the law, behind getting married and getting divorced is pretty simple, but the facts of the individual cases makes it very complicated. I tell a lot of people that family law is fairly simple and they look at me like I'm crazy and are like, simple? It's taken me three years and $50,000 just to get a divorce. And that's what complicates things is the emotions and the facts that are involved. They make these cases complicated and difficult to resolve by agreement. Now, a divorce case is initiated by a petition. One of the parties files a court action to get things moving forward. Now, there are some common sense type things that go into the petition. You put your name, the name of your spouse, uh, both your employments. Uh, you're gonna put your social security numbers, although those are redacted these days. You're gonna put where and when you got married. You're also gonna list your employment and that of your spouse. You're gonna list the number of children that you have and make a request that you want the court to divide assets and debts equitably and that you want the court to determine custody, visitation, and child support. Some of the unique particulars that go into the petition is that you have to state how long you have lived in that particular state. This is a jurisdictional requirement in all 50 states, and the purpose is to prevent people from snatching children and then hopping over to another state and filing for divorce. In most states, you have to live there for at least 90 days. The purpose of that is, as I just mentioned, uh, you have a fight, wife takes kids, goes to her mom's house in Colorado when you live in Missouri, and then she files for divorce there. Well. 
the house isn't there, your life isn't there, the kids don't go to school there, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So there are minimum, uh, usually 90 days at least, uh, residency requirements prior to your ability to file for a divorce. You also have to make a declaration that nobody is on active duty. The Soldier and Sailors Relief Act prohibits legal actions against anybody in the military that's on active duty, and you know, rightfully so. So if you do have a member of the uh, marriage uh, that is on active duty, you can't get a divorce until they're back in the States or off active duty. There also has to be a recitation that the wife is not pregnant. You cannot get a divorce uh, while the wife is pregnant because of issues of paternity, uh, child support. Uh, they have to make sure that the baby is born and that the baby is actually that of the husband's and not of someone else's. Uh, not that that would ever happen, but they don't do paternity testing on babies that are still in the womb uh, for legal purposes. They just stay or stop the divorce and they wait until the baby is born. There's also usually a recitation as to whether either party will be asking for maintenance. Uh, this used to be called alimony or palimony, uh, and that is a payment by one spouse to the other uh, after the uh, divorce. Um, this usually only comes into play where you have a scenario where the uh, income is uh, way off between the parties. Maybe you have a doctor uh, and a homemaker, and the homemaker is asking for maintenance for a certain period of time uh, after the divorce. Any request like that has to go into the petition. There is not a requirement that you cite any grounds. All states are no-fault divorce states these days, uh, which means you don't have to recite any fault. If either party to the marriage wants to get a divorce, they can file and get a divorce. Now, traditionally, a lot of lawyers will recite that there are irreconcilable differences, uh, which is uh, grounds or fault, uh, but it's not necessary or a requirement in any petition in any of the uh, United States. Often, if there are children involved, attached to the petition will be a parenting plan. And this gets into the micromanaging or the particulars of custody, visitation, and those types of issues relative to co-parenting the children. And this is a formal lawsuit. It is served on the other party by the sheriff or a process server, and they're required to answer within 30 days usually. Uh, sometimes they'll file a counter petition. Um, but once the dust settles and everybody lawyers up and the initial pleadings are filed, you move into phase two, which is discovery. And that is the exchange of information. And that involves all of the assets of the marriage, all of the debts of the marriage, all types of issues regarding the financials relative to health care uh, and any type of benefits you have, all of the expenditures relative to the children, uh, their uh, daycare expenses, just everything you can imagine that goes into the financial aspects of a marriage is now going to be exchanged between the parties as part of the discovery in the divorce. And the parties always try to settle the case if they can, uh, but like any other lawsuit, if you can't settle, the judge will decide what happens for you. So let's talk about what a judge would do. When you look at the assets of a marriage, they are to be divided equitably. 
Some people say, well, it's going to be 50-50. But the statutes say that they're going to be divided equitably, which means fairly. Now, if all things are equal, that probably does mean 50-50. However, if there's a scenario where somebody has squandered a marital asset, then the ultimate distribution uh, may be off of 50-50. Now, what I mean is there's a classic case where uh, a lady and her friend took two bass boats out. Uh, one of them was the uh, ex or soon to be ex-husbands. Uh, and so that lady took the drain plug out in the middle of the lake and sunk the boat in about 250 feet of water. Well, she hopped in with her girlfriend and they took their boat back to the dock. Well, the judge ultimately determined that uh, that was a squandering of a marital asset of about 20, I think it was $24,000 in the case. And so he did not divide things equally. He offset uh, for the husband the amount of his bass boat that he didn't get his half of uh, because that asset had been destroyed by the wife. Now, notice I was talking about marital assets. When parties enter into a marriage, the assets that they owned before the marriage are theirs. Those are non-marital assets. And even after the divorce, if those assets are not commingled or put together with some marital asset, then those items go back to the party who entered the divorce with the property. All other assets that are acquired after the marriage takes place, those are marital assets. Now, there are a couple of exceptions. Uh, you have the exception for gifts. You have the exception for inheritances. And any asset that, that is the subject matter of a prenup or an antenuptial agreement, which is a kind of like a prenup after the marriage, that specifically designates that this particular property, it's not a marital asset, and everybody agrees that it's not a marital asset, then those types of properties are also uh, not divided by the court as marital property. So it sounds simple, right? Hey, if you came into the marriage with the property, you get it back. Anything we acquired after we got married is marital property and it's split 50-50. Well, it sounds simple, but it never is. One scenario that often comes up is uh, when a couple will get married, um, maybe the husband sells his house and then he puts all of the money into the house of the wives to pay off the mortgage uh, and then they move in together. Uh, when they get a divorce, she's like, wait a minute, I had this house prior to the marriage, I get the house. Well, the husband's like, I, I put $100,000 into that. I sold my house and I put that into your house. So it's not fair that she gets the entire property and he gets nothing. And so that is the stuff of divorces and what people like to squabble about because obviously it wouldn't be fair to give her the entire house uh, when he contributed substantially to the acquisition or the paying down of the debt. So those are the types of things that courts determine uh, and figure out when they're dividing marital assets. Another scenario that you see a lot is when the uh, uh, couple gets married and the husband had a, a business beforehand and the wife contributes to that business, grows the business, and then when they get a divorce, the husband says, well, you know, I had the business prior to the marriage, so it's non-marital. And the wife's like, Shaw, you had a truck and you, and I grew this into a multi-million dollar business. We have 50 employees. I deserve a portion of the increase in value of that business, which of course she does. 
Again, these are the things that judges sort out and how something that appears simple can get real complicated real fast. And a lot of people think that couples fight over everything, which really isn't true. Most of the time, with most of the property, uh, they can divide it up. I mean, after all, if you're the guy, you don't care a thing about your wife's clothes. Usually, you don't want them. Uh, you don't want the value for them because you just want your own clothes. Normally, unless there's some sort of a huge shoe collection or something like that. Um, what people like to fight about, of course, is real estate. That's a big ticket item. That's high value, high dollars involved. Uh, usually investment accounts, uh, checking accounts, savings accounts, any liquid cash assets are always uh, the subject matter of uh, people uh, squabbling. Uh, retirement accounts are a popular one. Just because one person has a big retirement account, the other spouse has an argument that they're entitled to a portion of that. And then business valuations. If you've got a small family business, uh, the person who uh, runs it, uh, if it's just one of them, will usually undervalue the business while the spouse that is wanting a chunk of it will overvalue it. So it's up to a court to figure out a reasonable fair market value for these uh, small family businesses. Now let's switch gears and talk about debt for a minute. Debt is divided the same way, equitably or fairly. And as a general rule, the debt will follow the asset. So uh, generally speaking, if you get the car, you're probably going to get the debt that's attached to the car. Um, however, if there are scenarios where this is really offset and it doesn't make any sense, obviously the court will do something different so that the division of debt is fair and equitable. And in divorce cases, the big ticket items uh, of debt are always going to be the mortgages, any uh, promissory notes or money that's owed on real estate. And credit card debt, that's another big one uh, that happens, uh, that is significant that we'll talk about in just a second. Now, when we're talking about uh, real estate, dividing a single house uh, amongst two people is not something that generally can be done. So in its simplest form, the house will just be put on the market, sold, uh, the original mortgage paid off, and then each party will take their 50% share of the equity or whatever is left over. However, it becomes much more complicated when one of the parties is going to retain the house. Uh, then we move into a refi type situation to cash out the other party. Uh, and here's an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. Now let's say husband and wife have a loan for $100,000 with bank A and their house is worth $200,000. So together they have paid down the mortgage from $200,000 to $100,000 and that's the equity that they have in the house. Now it would only be fair uh, that each party get their $50,000 worth of equity out of that house. However, let's say wife is keeping the house uh, so that she can keep the kids there. Um, how do we get the equity out of the house and to the husband? Well, you do that through a refinance situation. So what happens is uh, the uh, wife will go to bank B and she'll say, I need a $150,000 mortgage. And what she does with that is she takes the first $100,000 and she gives it to bank A to pay them off. That gets the husband off of the note and that note and mortgage obligation is extinguished. Then she takes the other $50,000 and she gives it to the husband on the buyout. And that leaves her with a $200,000 house that she owes $150,000 on, uh, giving her her 50% equity. So that's the refinance scenario that often will accompany uh, a 
asset and debt division of real estate in a divorce case. Now let's talk about credit cards for a minute. Um, a lot of times uh, people will acquire credit cards as husband and wife. You both sign up for it um, and you each get a card. Often there'll be more than one credit card in a marriage and so it makes sense sometimes to just separate the cards. I'll take the MasterCard, my wife will take the Visa and that's memorialized in the divorce paperwork. Now the important thing to remember when it comes to something like credit card debt or any third party debt like that is that just because you have an agreement with your spouse or a judge issues uh, a judgment in your divorce case, that doesn't necessarily affect the rights of the third party. In fact, it probably doesn't. And here's where this becomes significant is let's say I take the MasterCard debt and my wife takes the Visa debt and I'm going along and I'm paying my MasterCard debt and everything's going fine and then the sheriff knocks on my door and hands me a petition and it says I'm being sued by Visa. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, no, 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 no. I have a divorce decree that says that my wife is supposed to pay this card. Well, guess what? That doesn't matter. Visa was not a party to your divorce. Uh, that agreement doesn't uh, govern uh, the relationship they have with you and you can be held responsible because you signed the original credit agreement with Visa along with your spouse. So just because it was allocated to one side or the other by the judge doesn't affect your third party creditor. And so there can be a scenario where your spouse doesn't pay for a card that they were supposed to pay for or a debt they were supposed to pay for that can fall back on you even though it was attributable to them in the divorce decree. In this scenario, your remedy is not to assert a defense against Visa. You've got to go back to the family law court that issued your judgment and ask the court to hold your spouse in contempt. And that may or may not happen, but what does happen sometimes is that spouse may file for bankruptcy. And if they do that, the judge can't hold them in contempt because federal law then controls and allows them to discharge their debts. So sometimes what you see is a ping pong effect after a divorce where one spouse will file bankruptcy and because of creditor's rights, all of the marital debt falls back upon the other spouse uh, and ultimately they can't pay it and they are forced into bankruptcy as well. And this is a post-divorce kind of a ping pong bankruptcy scenario that you see a lot of times uh, following uh, these types of cases. So remember, in the divorce, just because a judge allocates a debt to one party or the other doesn't necessarily mean that you are off the hook for that obligation. Well, that's the episode on the financial aspects of a divorce. We've talked about assets and we've talked about debt distribution. Uh, that is all for a divorce unless you have kids, which most of you do. So the next video, we're going to talk about custody, we're going to talk about visitation, and we're going to talk about child support. So thanks for watching. Remember to like the channel, subscribe if you want more information, share me on social media, and comment below if you've got something to say. Thanks for watching. You've been watching A Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this.